looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have SignatureHorror.com That's right, SignatureHorror.com
Hi, this is Chelsea Field, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Is Gwildo ready? Not yet. The room's secure. Anyway, it sounded like you needed a woman to touch out here. So this next guest, she's the pride of Glendale, California, and has danced her way into everyone's hearts for her work as a Western flight attendant in Commando, Chila in Masters of the Universe, and also family favorites such as Andre and Flipper. This guest, Chelsea Field. Yay! Hello, Hello <laughs> and take two with this. Uh, and thank God I caught it when I did, because then really would have been a shit storm but that that wouldn't have been good for sure no but i also we can't not forget to mention she's currently down in louisiana working on ncis new orleans with her husband scott bacula so how are you doing i'm doing great um it's it's very different uh working during the whole COVID situation. Um, you were asking, you know, if it was, if it's different this season and it is just the protocols that we go through to make sure everybody stays safe and healthy. It's a lot. <laughs> and, um, but I'm grateful that we're working. And so far, uh, the production has really been quite successful. Um, so many tests, like, I don't know, 19,000 tests that they've done and hardly any positive cases. So people are really taking it seriously and uh, it's just a very different way of working, but we can do it. So we are. <laughs> Elena, did you have a follow-up with that as well? or No, I think she covered it herself. It was just, I was just curious to see um, how it had affected um, production, really. But it's so refreshing to know that you guys are still able to make all the stuff that we love. <laughs> yeah, it's really about um, the testing being very consistent. So there's pods, you know, there's different pods and pod A, which is basically the cast and the camera, everybody who works closely together um, and the ADs, and we all get tested three times a week. And the minute anybody gets a positive, whether it's a, um, whether it's a false positive or whether it's a positive and they're act actually uh, showing symptoms or maybe they're asymptomatic, as soon as that person uh, shows up, a positive case shows up, they're isolated and they go into quarantine and, and then depending on what follows, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a false positive or if they really are sick, then they stay home. And then there's three more tests done when they're better until they come back. So it's um, it's a lot. And we wear masks all the time, even in rehearsals, the actors wear masks and we only take them off. If the scene um, does not have masks, we take them off only when the camera's rolling. So it's a lot of careful um, awareness. And uh, but so far, it's been really successful. And everybody's kept working and we're turning out 16 episodes this season. So um, it's a little less than what we normally do. Normally it's 24, but we're just grateful we got started when we did and haven't had to shut down because a lot of shows have shut down. I think some shows in Atlanta and LA have had to shut down. So. And the best part about this whole, well, I shouldn't say the best part about with the way the world is that and the rumor has it that, Chelsea has actually set up a home base with 
her and Scott down there as far as, you know, stuff from home and just make it feel like their own home that she can say, hey, if she's pissed off about something, hey, social distance six feet away and just she can easily push him away. <laughs> yep, that's true. I mean, we're, we've always had an apartment down here every season, but Scott for six years flew back almost every single weekend. And that was really tiring and very stressful. And um, we still had a kid at home for the five years. And then the, the, the sixth season, even though I was doing a few episodes each season, um, that sixth season, I was uh, uh, helping my mom who had, had gotten elderly and moved her into a, a, a retirement home, then moved her out when COVID hit. So it's been a lot with uh, dealing with my mom. So this year they added me to the cast and I was able to stay down here more permanently. And this time we got a place that, you know, has our, all of our own stuff. So it feels much more like home and we're both a lot happier now. That's definitely good to hear. Before we get into your stuff that you are known for, I'd be curious to know, especially because you're working with your husband, can you guys separate the work life and home life? Um, yeah, we do. I mean, mostly we have four kids, so there's always something up with one of the kids usually. And so that helps kind of delineate work and family or work, work and home. Um, and the fact that we're getting to spend more time here uh, or together rather has been great. Um, and so that helps to, you know, take some time and just do things that we love to do. We love to work out. So we're at the gym a lot and we love to be outdoors. Um, and the family keeps us sort of grounded in real life because as I said, there's always something up with one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, and, but the, the job and the production is a big part. Scott's an executive producer. And so he has a lot on his plate. And so that does, you know, it takes up a lot of our time and it's okay because really, when you're working with this many people and with, you know, considering the, the COVID of it all, there's just a lot of life that, you know, you, you deal with in, you know, creating a production and creating a TV show. And that means dealing with people's other people's, you know, problems or issues or hangups or, you know, pains or somebody, somebody gets sick and, you know, you're worried about them. So there's just, it's, it's a nice blend. And even though, you know, they're separate identities, work and home. It's, it's also okay when they're, when they dovetail because it's all really the same. Yeah, exactly. And just a couple extra more headaches uh, for Scott on that side, being an executive producer and all that fun stuff. Yeah. But all right. So first and foremost, I want to bring up, it was said to me privately, as far as masters is concerned, your co-star Mr. Anthony, who was Blade, sends his yeah. regards. We'll be chatting with him tomorrow. Oh, okay. We'll tell him I said hello. I sent him right back. We'll do. And I said, you know, we can talk privately if, and I don't know how you are with previous projects and keeping in touch with everybody, but I said we can definitely connect you two for sure if everybody's in agreement. But but anyway, yeah, obviously masters is probably that it's become such a cult classic over the years but was i guess technically a failure in the in the box office yes, but, <laughs> yes. yes at the time but yep. uh 
what is it do you think that everybody loves this movie so much for? Um, you know, I don't really know what what the what the pull is other than I think people that were, you know, that were really into the comics and really into, you know, the superhero movies, you know, it came at a time, you know, well before all the amazing special effects that they have now. And I think it was on the 20 year anniversary or something. I think it was, I think it was the 20 year anniversary. We went and um, saw it on the big screen and I took my youngest son with me. And even though some of this, some of the special effects, you know, don't hold up. Honestly, it was like the story kind of works. And I still felt after all those years that it, you know, it kind of works the, 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 the storyline and the characters and, you know, they got such a really good cast, you know, very good actors. And, um, you know, I'm, I honestly don't know why it's become a cult film, but it was a blast to make. And I know everybody's intentions was to make a, a really wonderful film. And, you know, maybe we fell short in certain areas, but it was so much fun and I made lifelong friends and um, I'm just so glad I was involved with it. Now, early on, obviously, we know Doff's English wasn't the greatest coming from Sweden. Did you have any issues with him uh, as far as his dialect and English? Well, we did have some fun with him when he would have certain lines. And obviously, it wasn't it wasn't a very verbal film for any of the superheroes. I think, uh, obviously, Frank Longella, he had a lot of dialogue. But the rest of us, and I think the two Earthlings, Courtney and, and Robbie McNeil, they, they had some dialogue. But the rest of us, we had, like, I didn't have a lot of lines either. And neither did Matt, um, Man at Arms, you know, John, John Cipher. So... Every once in a while, when Dolph would come up, I could remember one line, I will never kneel to you. That was the line. And he was supposed to be angry at Skeletor. And he's, I never kneel to you. And we were all looking at each other like, what, what, what did he just say? <laughs> um, bless his heart. But um, he's, a, he's a sweetheart. And um, it was, it was great. You know, it was just a great group of people to work with everybody. The act, the, um, Director Gary was fantastic, um, and our editor Ann Coates, may she rest in peace, was amazing. Um, so, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you brought up the name Frank Langella, and it's amazing when you even go back and watch today this particular role because the man has had so many wonderful roles throughout his career, and I believe he had a background in theater as well, and. It's amazing to to hear him say, even today, this was probably one of his favorite, if not his most favorite role that he did. I didn't I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. But yes, he's I think he's I'm pretty sure he's an experienced Shakespearean actor. And his any of his monologues or any of the lines that he had in that show were iconic <laughs> and you have to be really really good to be able to deliver that stuff in the way that he did and unfortunately you know he had that mask on which was of course the the character and he had to have it but I would just love to see him do it one time without that where you actually could see his facial expressions yep but you know he he was so he's so skilled as an actor and um you know, deeply talented, uh, that it still came across with that very, you know, heavy duty 
mask that that really did mask a lot of any of his expression. So he used it through his his voice. And, you know, it's funny that you bring that up about the mask and stuff, because we've talked to folks who have been involved with horror and different uh, lines of entertainment, such as guys who played like Jason Voorhees and these different people who have to wear heavy makeup or masks. Right. And And normally you don't see somebody's personality or get an opportunity for to hear them speak so to be able to see that with frank and his performance to still come out yes was unbelievable right it it's like the guy who plays and i i'm sorry i don't know his name um i'm sure you do who plays the the main ape in planet of the apes phenomenal phenomenal you know it's like what how can he make us feel that with this you know ape face but it's unreal well the other one that stood out to me is uh meg foster as well who is just wonderful oh fantastic and christina pickles christina pickles she was amazing and also james tolkien who played the the uh police guy you know i mean these are some deeply talented actors (laughs) and he was in a i believe it was a correct me if i'm wrong elena Back to the Future as well, James. I, yeah, I think so. I think you're you're right. I know he did. I I know he did Glenn Gary Glenn Ross on Broadway. So another you know New York theater actor. So along with Frank. Yeah, exactly. I know I had read both Anthony Blade, who uh, sends his regards again, and Meg both had issues with their costuming. I know yours might not have been, or at least didn't look to be as elaborate. But did you have any issues as well with costuming? Well, I didn't. I mean, I was just so you know, I had been a dancer, professional dancer for 10 years before I started acting. So I came into the acting world, you know, not as a 20 year old or an 18 year old. I came into the the acting world in my later 20s. So um, and I had done, I think, a few guest spots in in episodics i think before i did masters i actually would have to go back and look but i think i did like bronx zoo and a day in the life which was a richard kiley series and sarah jessica parker was in it and then i was also auditioning for films at the same time and back then it wasn't so common for people to go back and forth between tv and film but when i got master of the universe that was my first big film that i got like a big studio film. And I was just, I, that I can remember the day I auditioned for it so many times. I had so many callbacks. Eight or nine, right? Oh my God. It was ridiculous. And I mean, I was, you know, there was, there wasn't a lot I could do. And I, I would be rolling around on the ground with a pretend laser gun and going, making my own sound effects and saying the two lines that I had in a scene, you know, then they'd have me come back again. And I found out later, um, many years later from Gary Goddard that they were, the producers were very unsure and they were scared to hire me because I had never done a big film and they wanted somebody who had more experience. But anyways, I think Gary finally talked him into it. And when I got it, I can remember the feeling like it was the last three seconds of the Super Bowl and I had run the touchdown. I mean, that was literally the feeling I had when they said you got the movie. So, you know, I went in sort of the, the ever, you know, work hard, you know, work good work ethics, don't complain, do your job. You know, I had a very much a dancer's mentality. So they put me in this costume and I can remember Julie, um, 
who was a costume designer. I can't remember her last name right now. And she was so excited to see this dancer body that I had. And she's like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then as they're putting this drawing and bringing it to life, I'm, she's like, well, this is your armor. And I'm like, okay, but it's not covering any of my vital organs. You know that, right? <laughs> In fact, it was accentuating a lot of places of my body and not co covering anything. And she's like, no, no, this is, the, this is going to be great. So, I mean, I was extremely comfortable in it and it was, it was really like wearing, um, like a unitard. That's what it, it wasn't even as tight as a unitard. So it was super comfortable. And I had come from the dance world where I had worn crazy costumes and he danced in heels and, you know, done lifts and all sorts of adagio stuff. So, um, it was not an issue for me at all. Well, you mentioned it there about really getting the ball rolling acting wise in your later 20s and stuff compared to being 18 20 21 did you find that you were in a different headspace maturity wise uh getting into a different professional entertainment field compared to some younger folks might be a little more ambitious or having a little too much fun and stuff um probably but i was very driven from the get-go as soon as i graduated from high school i just had a vision of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to make it in this. And, and at the time I was, you know, focused on dance and I went and had a great career and did a lot of wonderful shows and jobs and um, came back to LA after I traveled a lot and worked on solid gold while I was in acting class. So I had this great dance gig that everybody wanted and I did that. And I was also singing with a band at night and then, you know, going to acting class whenever I could. And, and was really lucky to transition sort of through commercials from being a dancer to an actress. Cause also in those days it's so different now because, you know, dancers are actors and actors are dancers and everybody does everything. But back then, like I couldn't even let people know I was a dancer. I would never walk into, you know, an interview for a TV or film and say anything about my dance career. I just, it was not spoken because they'd be like, Oh no, she's a dancer. Forget her. So, um, I think that I did, I had a lot of work experience when I came into the acting world because I had been dancing for, for so long. So I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. So I know we're uh, hitting on time, but we got two fan questions, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, first one is from Eric from Duluth, Minnesota, who asks, and there were talks of this, if there was a master's sequel that had worked out. Would you have wanted to be a part of it? Oh, absolutely. I seriously loved those people and still do so much. I would be, I would do it again in a second. Yeah. Cause he mentions uh, after his question that make sure she knows that, that she nailed the role as Aww. Tila and it's still one of his top five movies at all time. And he's 44 Aww. and first saw it when he was 11. That's fantastic. I love that. There's, it's so much fun when um, men come up to me and say, oh, you know, I grew up watching this and I love this. And, and it's so funny because, you know, I still think of myself as 30. And then I'm looking at them like, oh, yeah, they're in their 30s and 40s. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess time has gone by. Exactly. Uh, the other question was from Stuart, uh, who lives in Austin, Texas. He was curious to know if there were any scenes filmed from Masters that didn't make it into the theatrical cut. Gosh, that's a good question. I 
I'm pretty sure that all of my scenes made it, but I would imagine that, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure maybe Anthony would or somebody else. I, I, I think it was pretty much shot the way it was, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, there was so much trouble with, um, Canon losing, you know, going out of business and, you know, oh, that was such a, and we didn't know anything about it. Nobody told us anything. We just kept going along shooting the film. <laughs> there was all sorts of money problems. So I'm sorry. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And Elaine is going to wrap with a question, but we were what did a watch along with a, uh, another Canon project from 86 and the actress that was a part of that doing a running commentary would say that Canon would be changed the budgets of the movie pending on how they did with their other releases that particular week. So budget wise oh. with them was nuts at the time. Yeah, I, it was crazy. And I, again, we never, none of us knew anything about it until many years later um, when we finally got the story. Um, I guess it was crazy. And I think Gary did a very good job of, you know, not letting it affect him in front of us. Elena, what, what do you got? Yeah, I did. Uh, Chelsea, I'm one of the ones who didn't grow up with He-Man and all that stuff. So I kind of wanted to ask, what was it like to work on like child, um, like my childhood classics, like Flipper and Andre? Oh, that was, well, I did shot Andre first, which was such a blast. And we shot it up in Canada, in uh, Vancouver. And it was such a sweet story. And Tina Majorino was so amazing as the little, my little daughter. It was a super fun character. Um, and I read the original book that the script came from. Um, and uh, that was fun. And then Flipper was, <laughs> for a while, I had a, a theme going in my career, which was all, you know, sea animal movies. <laughs> there would have been a Moby Dick. I'm sure I would have been cast in that. So um, Flipper was fun. Uh, that was, we shot that in the Bahamas. So that was a blast being down there. And um, Elijah Wood, of course, who was fantastic and Paul Hogan. And um, it was, you know, neat working with the, the dolphins. A um, little different than the, the seal that they used in Andre. That was uh, a little crazy because they're definitely wild animals, the seals. A little more wild than the, the dolphins felt. Um, but it was fun. I was actually pregnant with my first, uh, child when I was shooting, uh, Flipper. So, um, and I didn't find out till I got down there. So that was a little crazy because I was trying to fit into the costumes and my, I was busting out all over. So that was a little uh, tricky, but it was fun. A lot of good memories. Well, that's good to hear, but let's remind everybody to check out your local listings for NCIS. New Orleans, Miss Chelsea Field, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H dot com.